Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So it's a new year and perhaps you're feeling the pressure to get up and go, but you can't get yourself out of bed. Maybe you're in more pain than usual. Perhaps you're more depressed than usual. Or maybe you're experiencing extreme fatigue and energy crashes. If this is you please know that you are not alone. As I return to work, I've received many emails from endometriosis clients telling me that their symptoms are worse and they're panicked. But I've also had friends and endo clients who struggle with premenstrual dysphoric disorder, otherwise known as PMDD, experiencing heightened symptoms too. And even for me, my anxiety, bladder pain and adhesion pain is worse. This is not uncommon In fact, in my line of work, it's expected that many people will have worsening periods or hormonal problems in January. It does not mean that you're doomed for the rest of the year and that this is a sign of things to come, which is often where our mind can go when we're in the middle of a flare-up. What it does mean is that we need to understand what's happening and why and move away from panic mode and instead focus on calming and nourishing our bodies. Now, I could deep dive into all of the science of this for hours and hours, but this is a short episode designed to be digestible rather than overwhelming. So today, I want to focus on PMDD alone rather than endo and PMS and all of the other conditions that many of us suffer with, because starting the new year feeling mentally unwell is particularly challenging, especially when social media is full of people talking about their goals and hopes for the year ahead. Many people with endometriosis also have PMDD. Now, whilst there isn't a definitive research link here, it is something that my colleagues and I see often. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, PMDD normally occurs from the luteal phase, which is the phase after you've ovulated, until the first day of your period. 
I have occasionally have had some clients tell me that their PMDD symptoms start and end a little outside of that window, but typically we're looking at the luteal phase and symptoms ceasing on day one or two of your period. During this time, people with PMDD experience a much, much more extreme form of PMS. Now, I want to be clear here. PMDD is not PMS. When I say a more extreme form of PMS, it's really just to describe, to kind of give you something to, some context in your mind. I want to emphasize that I am not minimizing the extreme severity of PMDD. I know many people with PMDD are frustrated that it can often be explained as simply really bad PMS. It's not. For people with PMDD, they can feel like their whole personality has been hijacked. They may feel suicidal. They may experience extreme anger, depression, anxiety, overwhelm, etc. And they may behave in ways that they would never normally behave. These emotional symptoms are often accompanied by physical symptoms that can be very severe, like chronic insomnia, water retention, etc. In short, PMDD is an extreme disorder that is debilitating and can put the sufferer's life at risk due to the mental health struggles it triggers. Now, whilst PMDD is not the same as PMS, the same causes of PMS can still add to and worsen the symptoms of PMDD. In my practice and within my training, we see stress, lack of sleep, blood sugar imbalances, and estrogen dominance as being some of the key culprits that can heighten PMDD symptoms, though there are many others. And like I said, this is a shorter episode, and I won't be diving into each and every topic too much, because honestly, we could create multiple episodes if we did that. But if you want to learn about the causes of PMDD and nutrition and lifestyle changes that can support and manage it, I have linked to free episodes in the show notes where you can learn more. The good news is, with certain strategies, I often find my clients have significant relief from their PMDD symptoms. This isn't to say you won't need medication or that you failed in any way if you do require it, but these are just some of the management techniques that can help that we'll be exploring today. But let's get back to why your PMDD may be struggling right now in January. Before I start with that, I want to assure you that PMDD is not your fault and nor is endometriosis. But there are things that can help or worsen PMDD, just like any condition from diabetes to arthritis, right? So while it is absolutely not your fault that you have PMDD, what I want to do with this episode is rather than pointing the blame finger and saying, oh, you ate a lot of this, that's why your PMDD is bad. What I'm trying to do is just raise your awareness to what may be contributing so that you're not stuck in this awful depression, feeling hopeless and helpless and like there's no way out. As someone personally with a long history of depression and anxiety, I can sometimes get lost in a bad phase, like a bad mental health phase, and become fearful that this is now my new reality or that the feelings I'm having are true and that the way I'm thinking is real. But when I step back and ask, hang on, what have I been doing which could be further fueling this, and I recognize my triggers, it gives me hope that I can feel better and it allows me to make sense as to why I'm feeling that way. And it gives me a sense of control because I now can see that I can make changes to move towards feeling better. If that's not the way you think you'll receive this information and instead you will find this information distressing, 
I suggest you skip this episode for now and focus on whatever makes you feel good or better, whether that's walks, prescription medication, exercise, cuddles with your pet or feel good movies, whatever it is, please do what you need to do to look after yourself. Okay, with that being said, let's now get to it. So number one is lack of sleep. For many of us, Even if we move into December with intentions of cozy winter nights in, we can often find ourselves in a routine of staying up late watching Netflix or traveling around seeing people or heading to social events, which mean we're getting to bed late. Lack of sleep has been shown to raise symptoms of anxiety and feelings of depression and can also trigger the onset of these disorders as well. Of course, if you're moving into January feeling sleep deprived and struggling to get back onto a sleep schedule, this can worsen mental health symptoms that can arise with PMDD. And even if you're now back on a better sleep schedule, you may still be dealing with the depression and the anxiety triggered from the sleep deprivation in December, and it may take you some time to work through that, especially if you have other factors influencing these mental health issues and your PMDD. Number two is sugar. Naturally, many of us enjoy more sweet treats around Christmas and New Year's, which is totally normal, but it can result in blood sugar swings. Blood sugar instability can mimic feelings and symptoms of low moods and anxiety, and mental health conditions are being increasingly linked to blood sugar problems. Additionally, blood sugar instability can cause or worsen hormonal imbalances, which can further exaggerate or add to the symptoms of PMDD, which is influenced by changing hormones in our cycle. Number three is alcohol. Like sugar, many of us tend to increase our intake of alcohol around Christmas and New Year's. Alcohol, whilst in the short term may make you feel more upbeat and relaxed, is actually a depressant which can negatively affect the neurotransmitter levels in your brain and cause low moods, even depression when consumed regularly, which many people do throughout December. In fact, reducing alcohol intake is a recommended dietary and lifestyle change to help manage your to help manage PMDD, as PMDD in itself is a condition which is linked to our neurotransmitter levels and how they are affected by our hormones. If you then have alcohol also affecting your neurotransmitter levels, you can see how this could potentially worsen your symptoms. Number four is caffeine. For some, though not all, we may have increased caffeine consumption in December. Caffeine is found in green tea, black tea, white tea, coffee, cacao, and chocolate, and drinks like Coke. I know for me, Christmas is the time when I may increase caffeine because I find I'm like yearning for drinks that bring me comfort, which is often hot chocolates, cups of tea, and coffee. Caffeine is a stimulant, and it triggers a flight or fight response by raising levels of adrenaline and cortisol. Adrenaline increases heart rate and breathing, feelings of alertness, and can mimic the symptoms of anxiety by triggering palpitations, nervousness, jitteriness, etc. In people with anxiety, it has been shown to worsen symptoms. And let me tell you, I have generalized anxiety disorder, and this year I had quite a stressful December, a story for another time perhaps, and I defaulted to my old habits of relying on caffeine to get me through. And unfortunately, it just made the stress so much worse because it increased my anxiety and therefore my feelings of overwhelm and feelings of being out of control. 
Now, my final word on these four points is that there are many other things that can heighten symptoms of PMDD. And just like any mental health issue, stress can worsen symptoms and arguably Christmas can be quite stressful time for many of us. So it could also be that your stress is the main trigger or could be contributing to that. However, what I've just discussed are some of the dietary and lifestyle changes that can occur in December, which can also impact your cycle, your hormones, your neurotransmitter levels, and may, as a result, exaggerate PMD symptoms come January. So what can we do about it? I am not a huge fan of a January detox, as it can actually stress the body, not to mention your mind, and it can just end up making things worse. Instead, if you do want to make changes... I suggest gradual, easy changes that can help you to feel good rather than deprived and changes that you can actually keep going in the long term rather than a short term kind of health blitz in January. Now, we could do an entire episode on all of these topics I'm about to cover, but instead I'm just going to give you a couple of actionable tips to prevent you from feeling overwhelmed when you're already not feeling well, right? And to help you to get started and kind of get the ball rolling and moving away from the PMDD kind of funk that you may find yourself in right now. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. Okay, so... If sleep was an issue for you in December, I suggest slowly working towards a better sleep schedule. You're unlikely going to be able to move from 1am bedtimes to 10pm bedtimes overnight. So gradually start going to bed 15 minutes or 30 minutes earlier throughout January, aiming for a nine hour sleep window to give you a chance of a full seven to eight hours sleep. Try to avoid anything that is going to stimulate brain activity in the hour or so before bed, such as TV screens or bright lights, and try to avoid caffeine at least eight hours before bed as it lasts in the system for at least eight hours. If you've gotten into the habit of drinking caffeine throughout the day, you may need to begin that process gradually as, like I said, we don't want to further stress the body or mind, and I'll give you some ideas for reducing caffeine intake shortly. For many of us, Getting to sleep on time can feel like a boring activity and an act of painful discipline. Remember, I want us to focus on things that make you feel good so that your PMDD symptoms improve rather than causing you further stress. So try to see your night routine as a form of nourishment, an evening spa maybe. Perhaps you watch a feel-good show after dinner or you take a relaxing walk after dinner or you unwind with a quick yoga routine that feels like a treat rather than a punishment. Maybe you have a hot shower or bath, or you light a couple of candles and just read a comforting book. It really doesn't have to be a complicated or a long drawn out process, but you just want to ensure that the lighting is low and that the mood is calm rather than stimulating an hour or two before bed. Okay, so now let's talk about sugar. Sugar is a really hard one to come off cold turkey because it is a very addictive substance. So again, make this gradual and enjoyable to prevent physical or emotional stress. 
if you've gotten into the habit of, say, I don't know, snacking on biscuits or chocolate, try replacing those snacks with fruit, nuts, and some dark chocolate with a lower sugar content. If you're very addicted to that sugar hit, you might personally find you do better at first with keeping in some of those sweet snacks, but reducing the quantity whilst slowly introducing the healthier ones. So for example, say over December, you got into the habit of eating three biscuits with a cup of tea in the afternoon. You could reduce that to two biscuits and eat some nuts and fruit first. And as you reduce your biscuit quantity, you could also increase your nuts, fruit and dark chocolate portion until the biscuits are entirely replaced. You could also swap your biscuits to some healthier alternatives. And I've just put one or two examples of what I mean in the show notes. They're not sponsored, by the way, they're just examples. Honestly, no one ever sponsors me (laughs) except for BU. So they're not sponsored posts. Of course, that is just, you know, a single suggestion and a single example. If the idea of nuts and fruit doesn't appeal to you, explore your options and recipe ideas. You could make an avocado chocolate mousse, a healthy hot chocolate, a chia pudding with some cinnamon and vanilla in it, or even get really super creative. In autumn, I was having cubes of cooked pumpkin with yogurt and a pecan on top. I can't eat cinnamon, but you could add some cinnamon on there, other flavors to kind of make like these mini cheesecake bites. Have a scroll through Instagram for ideas because there are tons on there, but just watch out for anything with added honey, maple syrup, date syrup, coconut sugar, etc. as sadly they all are just a form of sugar. So you might as well be eating the biscuit. Additionally, you could consider focusing on eating for blood sugar balance, which you'll be pleased to know is more about eating more than it is about eating less. When you balance your meals to support your blood sugar, you'll crave sweet foods less. You might want to start here. We could really get into the weeds with this one and I'll link to a few episodes where you can learn more about blood sugar, but I want to keep the suggestion straightforward here rather than a huge diet overhaul in January, because remember, we're trying to like move away from this uh, extreme um, approach to dieting in January. So with blood sugar balance, the two key things to focus on are reducing refined carbohydrates like sugar, bread, pasta, and cereal, and ensuring each plate contains healthy fats, fiber from veggies, protein, and a complex carb. So you can start here and you may find that you require less sugar as your blood sugar stabilizes with your meals. Okay, so next let's talk about alcohol. If you've gotten into the habit of having a glass of wine or two in the evening, or you're drinking more at weekends and you're struggling to go without it, try diluting your drinks to start weaning yourself off. We're currently in Italy at the moment, and we've seen on the menu a number of times wine mixed with mineral water or sparkling water, essentially making a spritzer. There are plenty of wine spritzer recipes online which you could look at, and they add things like fruit, herbs, etc., just to make it a bit more interesting. But do try to avoid adding any extra sugar. By making a wine spritzer with just one serving of wine instead of, you know, having two glasses of wine, you can essentially have two glasses even though you're only having one actual serving of wine. Of course, if you've only been having one glass anyway, that's not actually going to help you reduce your intake. So you would half your normal serving and then dilute it with the sparkling water. Then once you've kind of accustomed 
Then once you've kind of got used to that, you can try a few evenings with just a healthy mocktail or a comforting hot drink and increase those until you've reduced your alcohol intake to a level you're comfortable with and is good for your body and your PMDD. If you've only been drinking at the weekends and you want to lower your intake there, again, do try diluting your drinks. You could ask your waiter for a neat serving of your usual spirit or wine and also ask for a pitcher or a glass of sparkling water or a low sugar mixer and mix your own cocktails so that you can make your alcohol last over two or three drinks. I also recommend you ask for some fruit slices like orange or a sprig of rosemary in your mixer so that you can still feel like you're getting something special. You can also alternate your alcoholic drinks with a mocktail or alcohol-free spirit, of which there are now many served in bars. And I've linked to a couple in the show notes just as an example to kind of get your cogs whirring. But again, they're not sponsored. So yeah, but please, I'm not trying to influence you. They're just ideas. And what you can do is have, you know, one alcoholic drink and one non-alcoholic non-alcoholic drink and then one alcoholic drink and then one non-alcoholic drink and instead of having four alcoholic drinks at night you've had two. Of course if you feel like you need help reducing your alcohol intake and you're struggling to do it on your own reach out to a professional your doctor or an AA support group. All right lastly let's look at caffeine. You've probably guessed a trend by now that these tips are about reducing slowly to prevent putting yourself under more mental and physical stress. With caffeine, it's one of the easier things to reduce practically because you can kind of reduce the doses um, fairly easily. So for example, if you're having three cups of strong coffee a day and you want to say, get back to just one, you're likely going to feel some withdrawal from that. So a steady approach could be if you're making your coffee at home, you can make that third cup with half caffeinated coffee and half decaf coffee. So say you're using uh, coffee granules, you could just have half caffeinated granules and half decaf granules. Or if you're getting instant, you could get the instant version, right? Or you could switch that third cup to a drink which has left less caffeine in it, which is typically green tea or white tea, providing that they're from a tea bag. If you're using loose leaf tea and you're brewing it, that can actually have more caffeine in it than coffee sometimes. After a few days of getting used to that amount of caffeine, you could then move to that third cup being entirely caffeine free and then repeat the process with your second cup. So let me just give you an example of how I'm doing it in, you know, real life. I was drinking about two cups of tea a day and a cup of coffee a day over Christmas, which is more than I've ever drunk in my life. Um, shocking, even for me. My first strategy was to remove black tea entirely and swap it to white tea um, because black tea just honestly sends me crazy. Um, And white tea actually tastes quite a lot like black tea, surprisingly, but it's just a bit fresher, especially if you add some milk, it very much mimics black tea. It's just, it just tastes fresher. I can't explain it. I then removed my third cup So my third cup of caffeine, which had become white tea, I removed that entirely. And what I did instead is I would take my second cup of caffeine, which was a coffee, and I'd actually half that serving. So I'd make an espresso shot and I'd halve it and then dilute it with some boiling water. That's what I always do anyway. Um, And I would have that second half of that cup in the afternoon. So essentially I'm having two cups of caffeine, but it's spread into three servings. 
So I've got my morning white tea and then I've got a single cup of coffee that I've split between mid-morning and mid-afternoon. I then entirely removed that half serving of coffee in the afternoon. So I'm currently down to one white tea in the morning and half a cup of coffee mid-morning. Once I've adjusted to that, I'm going to switch my second drink so to a decaf coffee. So instead of having a caffeinated coffee at about 11 a.m., I'm going to go fully decaf and I'm going to add some lion's mane and cordyceps, which are mushrooms which have a coffee-like taste, but they also boost cognitive function and energy without the caffeine. And that is what I'm used to having in the past instead of caffeine. I, I used to use this a lot and it really helped me. Eventually, I will also replace my morning drink with a mushroom latte and keep my white tea just for the weekends, as white tea is very beneficial for skin health and gut health and overall antioxidant levels. Plus, I really like it and I love the comfort of having a cup of tea. But daily caffeine intake for me is just not good for my mental health and anxiety or my bladder. And when I decide that, you know, whenever I want a coffee, I'll just stick to decaf, which is what I've done for years anyway. So this isn't a difficult adjustment for me. It's not difficult for me to go, you know, taste-wise to decaf coffee. It's just that I've got used to the caffeine. So you can see that I'm doing this very, very gradually. My anxiety would probably benefit from me going to cold turkey on the stuff, to be honest. However, my adrenals have become used to the caffeine kicking up my cortisol and adrenaline for them. So I need to give my body the chance to adapt so that I can make enough energy on my own and get through the day without feeling really tired unless I have caffeine. So I'm just trying to let my body adjust to making its own energy levels again. Now, of course, you can reduce your intake of these things however you want. These are just ideas to do it gradually as the temptation is to swing from one extreme in December, right? You're indulging in lots of things in December and then swing into another extreme of restriction in January. And so this episode is just here to reassure you that you don't have to do it like that. And actually, if you're in a bad place physically or mentally, it might not be the best idea to flip from one extreme to another. Having said all of that, there are some circumstances like reducing alcohol intake, which you could do quicker. If you wouldn't find it hard to stop drinking daily or so much at the weekends, you could certainly cut down quicker or do dry January. And this would be advisable and helpful, especially for your mental health and your hormonal health. So it's not going to be um, detrimental for you to, you know, cut out alcohol. It's, it's not going to be giving you <laughs> any health benefits, but what I'm trying to do is not stress you by thinking you have to go from drinking daily to not, to not at all. And lastly, remember everything we talk about on this show is just about me providing you with information and options. You certainly don't have to do any of this. And if you feel like now you just need some prescription medication to help you with your PMDD to get you out of this period that you're in, I totally appreciate that and you have to do what's right for you. If, however, you do want to learn more about a functional medicine approach to PMDD, I do really recommend that you listen to those podcast episodes that I mentioned earlier, which I have linked to in the show notes when you're ready. For now, it might be that you just focus on, you know, trying to reduce your sugar or maybe you're going to focus on trying to reduce your caffeine, whatever it is that you feel is affecting you at the moment. Okay. I hope this episode is helpful. 
Um, I just want to reiterate that PMDD is a very, very real condition. By no means am I belittling it by saying, oh, this is down to sugar or this is down to alcohol. But managing these areas of your health, uh, your nutrition, your lifestyle can be helpful for this condition. Okay, that's it for this week. I hope you find it helpful and I'll see you next week. So if you found this episode helpful and you want to learn more about living well with endo or you'd like some further help, I wanted to remind you of the resources I have available to you and how you can work with me if you'd like to. So I obviously have hundreds of these episodes for you to binge on and I do have two free columns. So one on endometriosis net and one on endometriosis news and there are countless articles on there to help you thrive. You can also sign up to my newsletter for tips and updates. I have a digital cookbook and nutrition guide, This Endo Life, It Starts With Breakfast, which you can download for just $9.99. And if you want to go that step further, I have short and budget-friendly masterclasses in nutrition, surgery prep and recovery, and natural pain relief. I also have a DIY course, Live and Thrive with Endo, The Foundations, which you can sign up to at any time at a really affordable price point and you have lifetime access to. So you can go at your own pace and literally look back at it years down the line. This four module course will provide you with the most effective yet easy to digest tools and strategies to reduce your pain, fatigue, endo belly, brain fog and hormonal symptoms and allow you to live your life again. Each lesson includes the core foundational needle movers that I have seen work for my clients time and time and time again. You get all the essential information that you need to be endo without the overwhelm. Finally, you can apply to work with me one-to-one. This is my most advanced and personalized offer, so I only take a handful of clients. To find out the details and the application process, head to my coaching page. The links to all of these resources and ways to work with me are in the show notes. And finally, to help others find this podcast and reach as many people with endo as possible, please leave a review and please share with your friends and family and subscribe.